0: Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I am your host, Mario Costabile, and I am super excited to be with you today. And if you're listening for the first time, hello and welcome. So glad you found us. So please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so and hit that share button. A of Hope is involved in so many aspects of film and music and events, and this podcast gives us an outlet to tackle some deeper topics and subjects about our faith. When I was younger, I fell in love with music. I loved the Beatles, I just loved playing their songs, and I just fell in love with music overall, so much so that I wanted to learn how to play an instrument. So I learned how to play drums and guitar and then later piano. And I literally learned hundreds, if not thousands of songs. Uh, I later joined a band and this was amazing. It just gave me so much joy and, and excitement to be able to play music. So I aspired to become a professional musician. As I got older, I was blessed enough to find opportunities to allow this to become a reality. And I was able to earn a living as a professional musician and music producer. In order to have accomplished this, I needed to practice, practice, and practice. And I needed to assert a high level of discipline over a long period of time. And on some levels, I achieved perfection in the projects and the things I was involved in. So fast forward 30 years, I started to grow in my faith and I wanted to deepen my faith. And there is a part in scripture where God asks us to be perfect. I was able in some cases to achieve perfection in my career, so how do I achieve spiritual perfection? Is this even possible? And how can God ask this of us? Our guest today is Father Angelus Montgomery, and our theme is how to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we're gonna find out exactly what our heavenly Father is asking of us. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. So, Dave, how are you?
1: How's everything? It's good to be back with you. I'm doing pretty well. Thanks, Mario. It is great to be here.
0: That's good. Yeah, it's always fun sharing the faith with you and and doing these podcasts. They seem to be getting uh, uh, more enjoyable every each and every time. I think we're, we've hit our stride. Yeah, it's, it's great. Fun. I love it. So, um, God's really. Been very good to us, right? I mean, uh, I I think of my journey and my faith journey, and I have to say our Savior's been extremely patient, at least with me. And I know that been patient with all of us, right? Uh, and it's kind of like uh, he's patient in such a way that our conversion stories or our, our own sort of faith journey um, is often not a moment, but it's a process. It's, it's a journey, right? And uh, there's always significant moments in our journey, some significant um, realizations uh, and growth. I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but is there ever, was there, maybe you could share what has been significant in your life and what those moments were that drew you to become a theologian and to have a deeper faith in Christ.
1: Yeah, well, I would share, of course, that Shannon and I were very profoundly touched and inspired by the teachings of St. John Paul II on life and love. Mm. And that really formed the basis of the way we were going to approach our marriage and our family. Wow. What about you? Have there been moments, or is there a particular moment that, that strikes you?
0: Well, um, There was a period in my life, I had a very close relationship with my mom, and she got uh, terminally ill, and uh, it was... Right in the, in my 50s, when I was seeking God, I was reading literature. I was trying to understand the faith better. Uh, I was trying to get on board with understanding the sacraments and what they meant, because I wasn't really convinced about the teachings of the church at that time in my life. And um, so as a result of my mom being ill, I kind of—I'm sure we've all done this, right? we made, I made this deal with God and say, Hey, God, you know, if you, if you heal my mom, I'll go to church every single day. And— uh, That was my deal, you know? So I just started going to church, you know, uh, every day uh, in the morning at nine o'clock. And uh, weeks would go by, months would go by. My mom, you know, had her moments up and down, but then she started to decline and decline. And about a year into it, that's when she passed. But during that time, me going to church each and every day— I started to change. I started to uh, recognize mm. what I was reading. Uh, I started to understand the teachings of the church. I started to better understand where the sacraments, what they were, what they meant, and how they affected my life. And most importantly, receiving the Eucharist every day and, and the supernatural grace that I received from that just lifted a veil so I could see things with clarity. Mm. And uh, that was sort of the moment. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, so um, our guest today is uh, Father Angelus Montgomery. He's from the San Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, and and we have a great relationship with them. We've we've been Array of Hope has been engaged with them for many many years. So uh, today we're going to talk about how to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect, mm-hmm. which is a tough thing to even grasp or understand. Uh, it seems impossible.
1: Jesus said, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." He wouldn't have exhorted us to that. And told us to be perfect if it was something that wasn't possible. Certainly, it's not possible on our own. Certainly, it may not be fully possible on this side of eternity. But with Him and His grace, we can grow in perfection. But what does that mean? And uh, what is that call? Well, it's really the call to perfection in charity, to perfect love. That's the vocation of every human being, because we're created in the image and likeness of the God who is love. And so, to be the image and likeness of the God who is love means that we're created to love as God loves, and God loves perfectly. Mm -hmm. The catechism of the Catholic Church defines holiness as the perfection of charity, So when we say we're called to be holy, what do we mean? We're called to be perfect in love. We're called to actually be holy or fully who we are as human beings created in God's image and likeness. So really the call of Jesus for us to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is a call to us to be fully who we were created to be. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, be who you are are. Hmm. Be that image of God that you were created to be. Be conformed to me. Be another me, right? Hmm. Because at baptism, we are made into another Christ. We're supposed to be Christ. What does St. Paul say? He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. St. John says that anyone who claims to abide in him must walk the way he walked must live the way he lived. Mm-hmm. So that's our call. Yeah, That call to perfection is for every Christian. That call to holiness is for every baptized Christian. Now, there are some who will be called to the way of perfection in a more extreme way, as St. Francis was. Hmm. And so St. Francis had his own journey. Francis grew up, you know, having whatever he wanted. And he was the life of the party. He was the talk of the town. As he grew up, he was very likable. People loved him. And, uh, and he was living a pretty comfortable life and, and you know, enjoying the life of a, of a young adult in Italy who didn't have to work too hard. Yeah. But he had this desire to go and fight to be a person of purpose and of renown. And so he, he went out to fight in, in a war and um, And he had a terrible experience, and got captured, and he was imprisoned for a year, and it did something to him, and it sent them way down into a depression, um, came home, really couldn't break out of it, and didn't break out of it until Jesus really broke him out of it mm. and uh, and he had this this particular moment where he's before this famous crucifix of San Damiano in the in the church of San Damiano, which was a broken down church. And he heard that voice from the crucifix saying, Francis, rebuild my church, which as you can see is in ruins. Yeah. And that was it. He actually heard that crucifix speak to him. And he thought, of course, you know, he was a pretty simple guy, I think, all in all. And he thought that Actually, Jesus meant to rebuild that church. So, he started to beg for bricks and rebuild the church. And then, of course, he started to realize that and Jesus was talking about something more. Mm. And these people started to come and join him. And they they very quickly, early on, dedicated their life to this life of poverty, holy poverty. And that they were going to become beggars for their food and just live off the generosity of of the people of God. And, uh, and do this work of caring for the poor, first the lepers, which Francis couldn't stand the lepers. He would, like, run away when he saw a leper. He would, like, get repulsed by the smell and everything else. And, in fact, there's a powerful story of St. Francis where um, he was on a road, and he saw a leper, and then he stops, and he realizes that he's got to change and he runs to the leper, and he embraces him and kisses his wounds. Now, this is like a dangerous mm. thing to wow. do. yeah. And um, and it's interesting. He goes a little bit further on, and he looks back, and the leper's gone. And so he became convinced that that was Christ. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's these moments in Francis's experience where he's being called deeper and deeper. You may know that religious orders usually take what are, Called vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. These are known as the evangelical councils, where they they commit to a life of celibacy, that they're not going to marry, that they're going to live this life of celibacy, giving their themselves and their lives totally to God. Um, poverty, that they, they're not going to own anything for themselves. Religious orders typically they they get the clothes that they they need. They get the food that they need. They maybe have a very small allowance to buy some necessities and things like that. And then obedience that they live in an order of governance, which means that they need to follow the the orders of their superiors. So if they're so if they're doing a particular work and their superior wants them to do something else, they've got to do what they're they're told to do. And what winds up happening is they live this life of renouncing the. The pleasures of the body, renouncing possessions, having things, and renouncing even their own pride and self-reliance and independence by making themselves humble and submissive to their superiors, they live a life of really a a life that can be considered a perfect life. That said, it's really important I think for all of us to understand that that poverty, chastity, and obedience are are something that we're all called to in accordance with our state in life like as a married man for example um, I can't just spend money however I want whenever I want i I have to be mindful of my wife, my family um I have to be mindful of the poor. I'm called to give generously to the poor, to not just be thinking about my own family, my own kids and what they need, but to, but to live modestly so that I can help others. I've got to live under a certain vow of poverty where I'm not in complete control of my stuff and what I, I can't just get whatever I like. Celibacy is not something that we're called to, but chastity we are. And for a married man, that means that I'm faithful to my spouse, in mind, and in heart, and in my body, and that that my wife and I are engaging in sexual relations in a way consonant with God's plan for our sexuality, which means being open to life. I mean, we can't just use sexuality in any way that we want. You know, there's there's something that governs that. There's, there's a, uh, a need for us to be in control of our desires to properly direct them. So, As a married man, I'm living under a vow of chastity in a certain way. And then there's obedience. Well, how about that? Like, imagine I just went off and did whatever I wanted whenever I wanted. I never talked to my wife about it. You know, that would be ridiculous. Or she would do the same about me, Mm -hmm. with me. Yeah. That would be ridiculous. So, on some level, while, you know, we don't, quote, unquote, obey each other, there is a sort of, like, mutual submission to one another. So, there is a sort of vow of obedience, on some level, too, my own fatherhood calls me to be submissive to the needs of my children, right so i can 't just go off and do whatever I want and use my time however I want it mm-hmm. because my my kids need me, and that 's my duty right so so I guess that while it's true that that religious men and women live out the evangelical councils in a in a more extreme way and their life might be more conducive to growing in this perfection or this holiness, this perfect charity the The fact of the matter is we're all called to that huh we're all called to that we're all called to be holy we're all called to these evangelical councils but lived out in our in our own way and in our in a way consonant with our state in life yeah that's uh that's a beautiful Dave mm. um I just want to
0: share before we, we, we tie this up, you know, the, the call to be perfect as our Father is perfect. Uh, when I first heard that, I got a little discouraged, thinking, this is impossible, right? But the way you described it, we're really called uh, because our Father is loved. One of the things I just want to be clear with our listeners is that he's not asking us for something that's impossible,
1: Right. I think that one of the important things with that, and you bring up a great point, because people can be prone to, especially perfectionists. If you're already a perfectionist, right. then this is a place where you can get discouraged, right, very quickly. So, I think an important thing to remember here is St. Thomas Aquinas talks about how on this side of eternity, we can attain a relative perfection. What does right. that mean? He's talking about we, the perfection that, that is we can actually never deliberately will to sin. Mm-hmm. So we can avoid sin in the sense of we can get to a place of perfection where we refuse ever to willfully sin. Does that mean that we're never going to make a mistake? No, right. it doesn't mean that. Does that right. mean that we're never going to like, you know, have a bad day and maybe be a little sharper with our children than we'd like to be? And then, of course, if, if you're like me, I immediately feel bad and apologize. You know, mm-hmm. um, Does it mean that that's never going to happen? No. Uh, but but we can get to a place where we say, I am choosing never to deliberately sin. And I think that that's important. I think that's within everybody's grasp. So if we're thinking about perfection in the sense that we're never going to have a flaw, that's not what Jesus means. Right. Yeah. That's not what Jesus means. We're always going to have flaws. Yeah.
0: Um, well, I mean, just like the virtues, the virtue of faith is a choice to live a faithful life. It doesn't come right. freely. You have to— Assert that virtue, and the virtue comes through grace, and, and then it the gives per- you grace. And then the
1: perfection is that the more you practice it, that's right. And yeah. then you have the grace, that's right. And then it grows and grows, and then it becomes like muscle memory. Right. You talked yeah. about right. muscle. muscle, yeah. It's like muscle memory, yeah. and then it's just natural. And then that's when you've really kind of hit yeah. a stride that you can. Yeah,
0: p- I, I just wanted to articulate that because I know when I first heard it years ago, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is impossible. Why bother? You know. But it's not. That's not. You know. That's not the Lord's intent, right? right? And you articulated that. So this is great, Dave. It's always fun and informative for me to share with you uh, on these various subjects. So thanks again.
2: Hey guys, it's Mariama here for Who's That Saint? Today, I am giving you two saints for the price of one. So let's get to it. Who's that saint? Clue number one. These two saints are part of the early church in North Africa. Both were born in the latter half of the 2nd century, and they both died together in the year 203. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who are those saints? Clue number two. One of these saints was a married woman, and the other was a slave woman. Both were mothers— And one was actually pregnant with her child at the time, while the other was breastfeeding a small child that she had already given birth to. The saint that was pregnant gave birth only two days before her execution. Those are kind of some sad clues, but who are those saints? Clue number three. What we know of the martyrdom of these two saints is written in a first hand account by one of the women herself in her diary. After her death, an eyewitness completed the text. Any guesses on who these inspirational saints are? That's right, they're saints Felicity and Perpetua. In prison together for refusing to renounce their Christian faith, these two saints boldly faced ridicule, torture, pain, and gruesome death. For the sake of the gospel. Both were mothers, one a slave and one a noblewoman, and their stories prove that our faith is what unites us and that death has no sting, as St. Paul says. Lastly, both women have been named the patron saints of mothers and expectant mothers. Did you know that? Saints Felicity and Perpetua, pray for us.
0: everybody we got some exciting news we have a whole new array of hope app and channel a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to god this is available on your desktop roku apple tv iphones and android mobile phones and tablets this channel has movies short faith-filled segments live events and programs you've got to check it out Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. Father Angelus Montgomery C.F.R. is a priest with the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, currently serving as the community's vocation director at St. Joseph Friary in Harlem, New York. Along with his duties in helping young men in their discernment, he's involved with the community's outreach to the poor and vulnerable, and also is the co-host of the Poco a Poco podcast produced by the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal. Father Angelus' heart is filled with gratitude to God for the gift of being a Franciscan priest and a spiritual father. Let's welcome Father Angelus. So here we are for another podcast. I am super excited about our guest today, Father Angelus from the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal is in the house, is in the studio uh here in Old Tappan, New Jersey and super psyched to have you here today. What a gift, man. You spent all to day with, with you guys.
3: us. Yeah. Did you, we see you guys throughout the year. You guys are family to us and so it's just great to be it's really easy to be here and oh, be a part of what's going on. So Thank
0: you. It's a blessing to us just to have you uh be part of our daily routine. Amen. It really blesses us. Amen. Thank you. So um, um, I have a, a slew of questions for you. Please, I, I, go. I, I always liked—I'm very inquisitive and like to know um, a little bit more about our guest. I always like to know, um, you know, the background. Uh, I know that you come from a family of four, yep. right? Yep. Four—three brothers and one girl in your family, Yep, right? exactly. And you're cradle Catholic. Yep. So you were raised Catholic. Yep. So tell me what your, you know, upbringing was like— uh, you know, where'd you grow up? Yeah, we
3: grew up in Nebraska. Actually, okay. born in Wichita, Kansas, but grew up in Nebraska. Okay. And so we're we're a classic Midwest family. Oh wow! You know, and and I I always used to say that that it's just yeah, the Lord was is really good to our family. I'm a triplet, so that's the fun fact. And so the of the four kids, three of us are triplets. My triplet brother is Father Innocent, so he's actually CFR as well which is wow. exciting. Um, my triplet sister is in Nebraska, married with seven kids. And my older brother is in Kansas still with his family. He has three girls. Wow. And so um, classic Midwest family, it was just a, a great gift. We, we grew up most, mostly in Lincoln, Nebraska, Catholic school, Catholic high school, grew up with the nuns, um, really given the gift of faith in our family from early on. And so I always say too, that God really spoiled us. Mm-hmm. You know, school just growing up. My parents are wonderful people, really gave us everything that we needed, gave us everything. We were sports family, school family, um, and just just did a lot. And we were at the different tournaments and different games and different things. Our life was just full. And it, it was a significant blessing.
0: So this is interesting. So um, you say you were given the faith early on. So does that mean your your parents were
3: devout or were they tell me. Yeah, you- sure. My, 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 dad actually was brought into the church when he married, or no, when we were baptized, the triplets were baptized. And so, um, he was Protestant, but oh, my mom, okay. my mom was cradle Catholic. And I, I, th- I would think we were, uh, you know, maybe a notch, a couple notches above kind of like the average Catholic family. We certainly, um, we given the gift of faith. We certainly prayed before we went to bed, pray before meals. Um, but it wasn't really that happened until really all of us were in high school, mm. that, that the priests at our parish became, became close friends. And there was just kind of like this slow, but pretty steady transformation of my family to allow our, our faith to, to really go deeper. And so all of us kind of had that open and hungry hearts for that and beautiful kind of priests and youth ministers and people along the way that kind of opened our hearts up to what it meant to kind of go deeper with the Lord. Awesome. instead of just kind of staying at the surface. So that gift of faith really was deepened as, as time went on. Was there—so you were really—I'm assuming you prayed as a
0: family. Yep. You were surrounded by the whole yeah. uh, Catholic upbringing experience, which is really anomaly, it I would is. think. It is, absolutely. You know, so you're yeah. very blessed in that way. Um, was there ever a moment in your life where um, the Lord touched you in a very distinctive way? In other words, it became personal to you as opposed to something that you— you know, yeah. are sure. are raised on. Yeah, you know?
3: absolutely. And I can remember a few moments. Um, when I went to college, there was, there was a powerful moment where my, my faith actually became personal and real. But there was actually my senior year of, of high school— there was a real beautiful moment where I went on retreat, like a, like a lot of high school students do. And a real beautiful confession, a confession that allowed my heart to go to different places and experience a deeper healing in my life. And so I remember for the first time releasing something in me that just allowed me to experience God's mercy in a, in a real way. So I really can point to that in high school as an invitation to go deeper. But my my, my experience when I was in college the, the challenge in, with being kind of spoiled and being given everything in life is that there was a lot of things that were exterior and a lot of things that were seemed to be on the surface. Um, in high school, later in high school, we went to mass every day, went to adoration. But I needed to allow what I was doing on the outside really affect me on the inside. And so I had made some excuses along the way that um, my, my triplet brother, Father Innocent now, um, went to seminary right out of high school. And I was, it was really oh, wonderful that wow. he went to seminary because then I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And I, and I and I made some nice excuses and I was really relieved that if he was doing that thing, then I could just do what I wanted to do. So there was this subtle still independence and self-sufficiency that kind of was ingrained in me, like to be the best, to get the best grades, to to stand out, that, that I had constantly kind of defined myself by. And so there was a real conversion moment I had in college where I had a good friend and a spiritual director who kind of called me to recognize that as much as I was doing everything right on the outside, that had the Lord really... Um, been able to take my heart and they capture my heart. And it was wonderful because there was a real grace that it was a a real moment um, to experience something deeper in the Lord where I Mm. recognized I just didn't want to go to mass. I just didn't want to go to adoration. I just didn't want to have all the Catholic friends, but I actually wanted to have a personal relationship that was sustainable and ongoing with Jesus. And so my junior year of college that if things really deepened. And again, the mystery was I was doing everything right, living the moral life, living the virtuous life, doing everything on the outside. But did I really know Jesus? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that that was <coughs> excuse me, that was the beginning of it all. And mm-hmm. um kind of propelled me into really asking then the, the Lord what he wanted from me. So it sounds like you had a little bit more of a journey than your
0: brother did. He, he did your brother discern pretty, pretty, pretty quickly? Pretty uh, quickly. So um so what is that like? Uh what is that uh what does that calling moment feel like? I mean, obviously you had a you you were you're, you you were yearning, uh your relationship with the Lord was growing, you were on a journey. Yeah. But there must have been somewhere, unless it was planted early on when you were a kid, that, you know, maybe you thought maybe Becoming yeah. a
3: priest, the religious life, what was that like? The thing that was planted early on was this reality that I wanted to do something awesome and wonderful for the Lord. I wanted to give him and sacrifice for him and I hmm. wanted to be a saint. That that language, at least interiorly, was something that I wanted to be great for the Lord. And so that that was was certainly there. But it wasn't until college where I, what, what does that mean though? And what does it cost me? Mm. And I was willing to, I, I keep joking with you as we do some of these minister, uh, these media stuff that I wanted to be the White House press secretary. I studied <laughs> communications in college, politics, and, and I was really, again, wanting to be devout, wanting to be Catholic, wanting to be faithful, but really wanted to kind of conquer the world in a way. And But that was me. Mm. And I had to find out what it meant to surrender some of those things mm. and to let go some of those things. And Kind of the catechism talks about conversion being a radical reorientation of our whole lives, and as soon as I said yes, that that reorientation was happening, but it it was still in this deep place. Is like wow, like this hunger to be to do beautiful things for the Lord, to give Him everything, to do radical things for Him was still there. And then I I start to see, and you guys talk about the saints, awesome here at Array of Hope as well. All my favorite saints, the kind of lives they lived, and that was pulling something out of me. I looked at Maximilian Colby, who's my patron saint, Franciscan as well. And I really wanted to be like him. Mm-hmm. He gave his life at Auschwitz, this yeah. radical sacrifice, this yeah. radical self-gift. And I was like, I want to do that. I mm-hmm. want to do that. And so um, again, the gift of the saints, the gift of being able to recognize there's something deeper in me that was happening besides the worldly, even successful, faithful things. But the Lord wanted more. And that, that was awesome because I was like, I'm in. Because I, I had a, all along the way wanted to do that. So the calling became—the realization of the calling was gradual over a little bit of time. But—and yeah, and it's one of those things where the Lord takes time and the conversion takes time. Even coming from a great family, we all still need healing. Yeah. We all still need to look at parts of our identity, parts of the lies we believe because of the world. I didn't have to actually earn God's love. I didn't have to prove myself to him. And I didn't actually have to be perfect. You know, and some of those things that when you're become from, I always love talking to people about this too, because I wasn't the bad kid conversion. I wasn't the living a crazy life or addicted to the, the tough things. Um, I had a loving family, <clears throat> loving parents. And so what does it then mean for me to be holy? Well, I had to have a, a different kind of healing and a different recognition that there's been parts of my life that wanted to be perfect, parts of my life that wanted to earn my place or wanted to prove myself to other people. And Jesus had to come in and say, no, 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 I, you don't need to do any of that. I love you there. And I love you ab- about who you are. And to be honest, bro, uh, I was going to say bro. You're one of the bros. So I could, hey, yeah. bro. You call me bro. Um, hey. I, <laughs> I compared myself. I mean, my brother and I were twins and triplets. And and so you kind of have all, all cunts this, like I'm trying to keep up or I'm comparing myself to him or I'm, I'm wrestling with like, what is my own place? Do I have my own place? And mm. I had a hard time believing that, that the Lord had my, his own place for me. And it's amazing because the Lord had to heal that for then to call my brother and I to the same community like early on before the next question yeah, 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 because i would have been threatened by that yeah but now here we are 13 14 years in being cfrs and we're in the same community we live in the same house Wow. he's my superior my brother my, my twin brother's my superior wow. and there's complete freedom there's no there's no like i have to i have to prove myself to anybody because the lord came in and, and as a 23 year old young man the lord said no i love you for you and i call you for you mm-hmm. um and that as the lord continued to unpack that in my heart it was wonderful that's great. So let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about
0: uh, all right. So you discerned to become a priest. Uh, your brother was already pursuing yep. uh, seminary. Seminary. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys, or how did you end up being yeah, a Franciscan absolutely. friar? No, you know? I appreciate that. We yeah.
3: Father Innocent was in seminary in college, and I went to Catholic College in Iowa, and then we decided to meet after one of the um, our junior year in college, and between junior and senior year, we went came to New York and did a summer summer mission trip kind of summer mission experience with the missionaries of charity and that was our first experience of the poor that was our first mother Teresa wasn't alive then but we experienced like her charism of loving the poor and then one morning they did a retreat for us and the cfr showed up they did a retreat for all the missionaries and so we met um yeah father luke mary who's a good friend of Ray of hope as well sure and we recognized that wow like our own experience of priesthood was diocesan priests which so wonderful so awesome we need holy good diocesan priests we need to pray for our priests um, but we didn't recognize that what religious life was, mm. that there was other other forms of serving the Lord in this particular way. So that opened up something in us. My brother went to seminary after seminary, went to join the CFRs. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna go to seminary back in Nebraska and discern. So I went two years in seminary there. Again, kind of just initially opening my heart up to something when it comes to a deeper call in the Lord. And then also I had this beautiful experience of again, this radical desire to be a saint. Maximilian Colby. And his prayers just really also revealed to me that the Franciscan life could be something I want to open my heart up to. So my brother and I then um, both joined and both had the opportunity to he's a couple years ahead of me, but we're we're now living in New York City. We've been again living here. We our friars are all over the world, but we've yeah. actually been in New York City for again 12, 13 years. Yeah. And yeah, and the Lord has we're both in formation. So my brother's the postulate director. So he forms all the new guys that come in and I'm the vocation director. So I'm the one who goes out and and walks with young men as they journey into our way of life. And Mm -hmm. so we're both in similar work, working together, partnering together. And again, living a, a real new freedom in the Lord that The Lord prepared us for as we grew up. That's awesome. Uh, So, for the sake of our
0: listeners, um, explain what a Franciscan friar is. their charism. But you're also you're a Franciscan friar of the renewal, so you can explain the differences.
3: Yeah. So the 1200s, St. Francis came on the scene, and um, the major form of non-religious or um, non-diocesan life that back then there was diocesan priests, but there was also mainly just monks. And so if you felt called to be a priest, you generally went and were a diocesan priest or a part of a parish or a diocese, or you went to the monastery and prayed and worked on the land. Those were really one of, of your two choices. And Francis was, had a conversion, intimately um, united to the Lord and said, I, I don't want any of these two things. I want to, I want to be a man who is a missionary and a, and a mystic in the world. And I want to go to towns and villages and preach the gospels. I want to go. Francis had a beautiful... Um, experience with the poor and the mm. leper. And so Francis wanted to be consecrated to Jesus and all for Jesus, but in the world. And so that was in the 1200s. And here we go in 2021, there's still uh, followers of St. Francis living that same heritage, living that same inheritance, not feeling called to be in a parish, not feeling called to be in the monastery, but wanting to really be radically consecrated to the Lord. The three vows we take are poverty, chastity, and obedience, but also to be able to, to preach the gospel in the world. We live in poor neighborhoods. So- we live, I, I live the house in Manhattan and we serve our neighbors. And it's just a wonderful opportunity to be the face of Jesus to those who really su- suffer and struggle. And, uh, but here we are the same, doing the same thing. And, um, we, our fan, our family, well, are our, our Franciscan family was, uh, founded in 1987. So we're all in the same kind of the tree, if you will, of the Franciscan community that has a bunch of different, um, offshoots or branches, right. but we're quite new um, yeah. since 1987. But you're, I'm sure some of your listeners are aware of Father Benedict Groeschel, sure. Father Andrew yeah. Apostoli, who you guys have had on as well, yeah. who are our founders. Yeah. And those two guys and and five other guys left the Capuchin community in in 87 and who were in great desire to kind of reform the, the, the Capuchin life or the Franciscan life and really get back to the heart of the gospel and the heart of what Francis wanted to do. So here we are. We're almost 130 guys. We have 16 friaries around the world, uh-huh. Central America, South America, Europe, England, and Ireland. (coughs) And um, we're just trying to be faithful, trying to be faithful Franciscans. And we're at the heart of New York and New Jersey here in the area. And uh, just trying to live with the poor, be with the poor, take our vows really seriously. And and let the consecration to God bear fruit in the world. Yeah,
0: so uh, just so our viewers and listeners understand, uh, you've probably seen uh, the friars the, of the renewal. They wear gray, yep. right? Yep. And the Capuchins wear brown. brown yep. I always, always call them like their cousins, right? Yeah, of course, of course. You know, so so the viewers understand that there are many different types of friars, yeah. all. Uh, funneling down to St. Francis, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we, um, I always like to tell people, especially when when I work mainly with the Young Men Discerning, and so what we're really talking about is a charism. We're talking about a work of the Holy Spirit that the church has said, this is true. They did that for St. Francis. They approved his rule. And when they approved his rule in 1226, they said... In this man and in his work, the Holy Spirit is active and alive. And we as the church affirm that. Mm. In 2017, our own community got pontifical recognition. So it was the same thing. In this, in this community, in these founders, in these men, the, the, there's a unique expression of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And what's, what's awesome, Mario, is that each Christian, each baptized Christian should ask that, how is the unique expression of the Holy Spirit alive in me? Beautiful, and then and then it's beautiful because guys who are discerning our way of life have that experience with the Holy Spirit, and when they walk through the friary door, something happens because they they match something that allows mm-hmm. them to experience the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit in us. But it's beautiful because it's your spouse, mm-hmm. it's the work that you do. The Holy Spirit's alive in in different people. As I hit the microphone, the Holy Spirit's <laughs> alive, and that when when the Holy Spirit meets and something happens in a couple, or something happens in people on their work or with different religious communities the Holy Spirit's like, okay, this is my work. This is where I'm called.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So, um, how long have you been director of vocations for? I just finished my first year. So, I- I'm sure that was a, a learning experience during right? COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it challenging? I mean, is it, you know, you you essentially are the recruiter, right? Yeah. I mean, you have yeah. to. So, tell me the challenges and what that's like and, yeah. and how you look at men coming yeah. into the friary
3: you know it's a good I, I always say who gets to do this job right i mean the gift of walking with young men the gift of of being able to meet guys and, and be able to support them and love them into their vocation that's uh, that's my main job is to love guys into their vocation it's we use the word recruiting but it's the challenge is that uh, what i like to tell guys too and it's just important for everybody to know that it's a divine call first so that it's a spiritual reality that um, God has to be working in the heart of a young man. And then that has to be again, kind of awakened in, in our particular way of life or the way that the spirit works in us. So guys might be drawn, To us, but that might not be called, Mm. you know. And that's part of it is that we're not just trying to fill fill seats. I'm not. This is not a CFR factory where I'm just the guy who gets to want to make everybody CFRs. It's actually a great gift and a humble place that you kind of Pope Francis talks about when you someone discerns their vocation and you're helping them. It's like you're taking off your sandals um, before it and worshiping, like allowing yourself to worship holy ground as God is working in the heart of a young man. Mm. And so it's beautiful because what is God doing in the heart of this young man, and and is that mean and point to our way of life and so it's really beautiful because you get to know a guy you get to know his heart you get to know his struggles you get to know his joys and then you kind of see what the lord does as as he learns to pray he learns to hear god's voice that's main part of vocation how do i hear god's voice can i hear him calling me and the challenge is as you know um are we ready to hear god's voice am i free enough to hear god's voice do i have too much noise in my life do I have too much distractions? Do I have too much worldly things going on in me that that keeps me or prohibits me from hearing God's voice? So a lot of the work we get to do is just the joy of walking with young men, helping them to be free, free from sin, free from struggles, free from distractions. So discernment's a long period of time. It's not just a, hey, come and visit. I love you guys. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. But it's like the key word about um, discerning is maturing. Hmm. Allowing a guy to mature in his prayer, mature in his discipleship, and then that maturing opens up this space where he has enough freedom and confidence to say yes to God. So it's a long period of time, but the, the guys that come our way, it's a, it's a great joy, and they have a Franciscan heart. They love to serve the poor. They love the brothers, and so it's it's just walking with guys and and helping them hear God's voice. How is it? Um, how has it helped you in your journey? Do you, how do you?
0: You must. It must help you in just yeah, the way you absolutely. recognize God and people and how you
3: see things. You know, what's so awesome, Mario, is this this gift of. Um, sometimes we can forget what God did in our life, and we can mm. forget the, the the simplicity of what it just means to pray, what it means to hear God's voice, what it means to live a life that's ordered and simple. And and so when you teach this to young guys, when you, when you bless them with the truth of their own identity, it make, it reminds me like, yeah, I want to go pray and I want to make sure I embrace my own identity, even though I accepted the gift that I'm a son a long time ago, but sometimes I don't live from that space. And when we're walking with young guys, discerning in young guys information at the house that we live at, the posh lines actually live, you're just reminded that we want to bless them and teach them, but I need that every day too. Mm. And so it, it keeps me in it. The the danger of, of being a religious is that you become professional and then all of a sudden I'm I'm fifteen years in and I and I forgot yeah the simplicity of what it means t- right. to be called with the simplicity of what it means to pray every day and be faithful in that and simplicity of what it means to be a franciscan you see the freedom the guy experiences and you f- see the joy that he has in saint francis it's and the joy he has you. and then it's like holy cow yeah this is what i gave my my whole life up for And this guy just, clicks there's a breakthrough and you're like yeah i want more of that too what a blessing absolutely you. that's great it's beautiful in the franciscan life that that life comes obviously in how we experience god in our brothers how we experience god in the church saint francis was a lover of the church god was was alive in the church he was alive in the holy father Mm -hmm. he was alive in the bishops he was alive in priests and so francis it was incarnate he could see it he could smell it the the incense and the eucharist oh francis loved the eucharist Mm. the incarnate love of god my my faith and my experience of god is not abstract but it was in the sacraments and francis the way his writings i would invite your listeners to you can even google the writings of saint francis he had a great love for the eucharist how how the jesus was so real in the body and blood soul and divinity of jesus Um, and yeah, and it's, it's, it's the, the truth is, is that we, um, can forget that sometimes Mm -hmm. and that we can, we can forget that God is constantly knocking on the door of our hearts with, with the people around us. He's constantly knocking on, um, in little moments of silence and little, um, times throughout the day that where he wants to to say, Hey, I'm here Mm -hmm. and I want to love you. And I want to, I want to converse with you. I want to talk to you. Um, the, the gift of St. Francis too, was he reminded us that, um, Jesus became poor and jesus was lowly and jesus became an outcast for our sake and so like mother teresa like the gift of the gospel in matthew 25 francis kind of kind of proclaimed this truth that god's in the poor Mm. and god's in the beggar and god's in the needy why because it just reminds us that this is who jesus came to he came to love them and he came to be among them and so it's 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 something that a lot of Catholics aren't necessarily comfortable with. I think everybody wants to do something. They want they want to have the kind of a social sense that I need to take care of the downtrodden or take care of the needy or take care of the outcast, but they don't really know how. Right. And Mother Teresa always says we probably have the poor in our own home before we have the we can see the poor on the street, poor in our own families, poor in poor in those we work with, someone who's maybe in need or maybe a little bit outcast or maybe a little bit um got a sense that they're difficult to be with or or whatever. So it, there's a there's a great grace that the lord wants to give us to have open hearts to the poor in my life to the needy in my life i think and we've talked about this before we're in a big huge competition of our hearts with the world and Mm. i think the world um is winning when it comes to the competition of our hearts and minds but then sin and darkness and weakness have effects in our lives and so when when we are consumed by the world and distracted by the world then we lose the spiritual sense Hmm. We use a gift of how God wants to to pursue us and how how He wants to reveal himself to us and where He wants us to be with Him, so what does that mean? That means we just have to be humble enough to recognize it that I'm probably more worldly than I should be. Mm-hmm. I probably care about the world too much. I probably care about politics too much. I should, probably should be more mindful of how what I watch, what I listen to what I do affects my heart how
0: what uh, i I guess I'm asking the tip so how could we how can we uh, share with the listener what are good tips to to sh- draw people to to the Lord's incarnate love, His mm-hmm. beauty, uh, yeah. the, the 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 real presence of the Eucharist. What are some things that we can do yeah. as a Catholic that's concerned about other souls?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think we'd have to learn um to be silent. I think we have to learn um, to not be so distracted by the world. And so when we enter into silence, we enter into a renewed space where we can can claim our relationship and our identity in the Lord again. And when we experience God in the silence of our hearts and less of the world, less of distraction, less noise, then something awakens in us to seek Him. Mm -hmm. And then when we seek Him, we can seek Him in the church, we can seek Him at mass, we can seek Him in the Eucharist in confession, and we have continued experiences of Him, then what does that do? That bears fruit in Him. Because bearing fruit in the world is, leads us selfish mm-hmm. and self-centered, and so it's me-focused. But when we start experiencing God, He pulls us outside of ourselves, and then therefore the little ways. Then we see other people. When I don't see the distractions of the world anymore, then I can see others, and mm-hmm. I can see those who need me. I can see the people right in front of me: my family, my friends, my coworkers. And it's just subtle, though. Yeah, it's a subtle reorientation of my heart. But it, I think, I think, and my bold proposal would it be: it would begin with some sort of detox from mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. What does it mean to simplify my life? What does it mean to listen to less, to watch less? Mm-hmm. And what do I fill my heart with? And when I can detox, and detox is painful. Yeah. And and detox is, you're going to want to quit right when it starts because you're going to feel it. Yeah. But once you can create the space and Jesus can come in, then the, there's a new fruit yeah. that happens and we start to bear fruit and, and love others.
0: It, it is. And you're 100% right. Uh, and, and being silent is hard. Yep. You know, and uh, I remember when I uh, started... Praying a little bit more deeply, you know, I, I would pray and be silent and think, oh, yeah, Matt, I bet you a half hour passed now. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, only five minutes passed. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my exactly. God, how am yep. I going to do this? Yep. You know, when you offer up an hour.
1: Yeah, you know? of course.
0: So, but I, I want to share with the listeners that it's like anything else. Like when you're an athlete, the more you do it, you create a virtue. Yep. You start to get you, the routine
3: yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to start exercising those muscles. That's right. And I think that the act of faith is that there will, there is someone else on the other side of that silence Mm, who waits for me and loves me, the God of my life, the God of my heart, the God who made me and he loves me and he wants to to be in intimacy with me. And so you're not going into this abstract void of like, oh, I'm just silent by myself, but the Lord is waiting, but he also wants you to choose Mm -hmm. it. So he's, he's not going to force himself on you. Mm -hmm. He's waiting for you in the silence. where you open your heart up to him and then he can love you. And it's like, then it's game over. Yeah. Because then it's, life is going to be different and your heart is going to be able to bear fruit in so many different ways rather than the worldly ways.
0: That's great. Well, listen, Father, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It's been, great it's been
3: fun hanging with
0: you and, and sharing the faith. And uh, God bless you. God bless the Franciscan friars of the Renewal. Uh, God bless all your work. Amen. What a
3: gift, and it's a joy. And I uh, will be praying for you guys to so You guys do an incredible work here. Right. We just want to support that as much as we can. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. You we bet. love you guys. Thank you.
0: All right. Peace. Well, thank you so much for hanging to the end of this podcast. It's been fun. And I hope it's been encouraging and really informative as we strengthen and build our faith together. I want to remind you to please, please, please share this with others. And the more people that know about our work, the more souls that our Lord can save. I want to thank our donors and supporters. You can also become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Also, stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we keep you engaged through music, Videos and daily reflections. There's lots of great stuff going on here that you can check out. Quick reminder also, every day we recite and do the Divine Mercy Chaplet on Instagram at 3 p.m. We ask you to join us and pray with the Universal Church. Our guest next time will be Dr. Ralph. Martin. He is certainly one of the most prolific speakers and authors in our church today. This is an amazing interview. You have to check it out. So thanks for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.